Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we're discussing more films from 1995. I'm your host, Michael, and Jacob's on the other side. Hello, everybody. I'm just trying to survive springtime. I, <laughs> I love that it's sunny out and the flowers are blowing, but it's chilling me. Yeah. <sighs> and we, we, it was 80 for three days, and now apparently overnight it's going to snow. So that's wonderful since the flowers and everything is going to die. So... Wow. Flowers who died, died. All right, so what is the first film we're going to be discussing this episode? Uh, this was a first for me. Get Shorty. I watched uh, Be Cool, but this I'd always seen the trailers and the previews for it. Never got around to watching it, and my God, vastly superior. Yeah, Be Cool's uh, fine. I don't hate it like a lot of people do, but it is one of those... Yes. Not, legacy sequels now are really normal, but Be Cool felt like, oh, this is John Travolta's last cash-in before his career completely dwindles. You know how sometimes when actors, their career starts to die, they do those quick, like, oh, well, this is a sequel to this, 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 whatever, and then they're basically done. Right. <laughs> but um, I saw, this is the first time I've seen Get Shorty since I saw it in the theater. I saw one of those, like, dollar discount theaters. I thought it was good. But as an adult now, instead of a, like a, I think I was a freshman in high school when I saw this, it is way better now, especially if you know more about the Hollywood business. And um, it's written by Elmore Leonard. And if you know his writing more from like uh, Jackie Brown or Out of Sight, this is, uh, it's the same exact vein. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, God. Just from that beginning setup. With Delroy Lindo trying to make that little cash drop, you know, setting up that uh, trafficker, drug trafficker. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> well, and, and just and, having him on edge the entire time, like even wait the entire day just to get that money. But no, it was a setup from the beginning. Well, and Elmore, Elmore Leonard is a very interesting writer because he started off making very serious westerns. I think HUD was probably his most well known with Paul Newman. And, um, Somewhere in the 80s when the Westerns started to die off that he, you know, redid his career with more... I mean, he had done a couple crime fillers in the 60s, like The Big Bounce, which got remade uh, with Charlie Sheen. But uh, that came as bread and butter in the 80s was like these kind of off-the-wall weirdo comedies with lots of mobsters. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, it makes it... Uh... Like somewhat of an influence for the mod that uh, that one mafia spook movie with Lloyd Bridges. Uh, a little bit, but that's more making fun of the um, the Martin Scorsese crime films. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so he's a very particular voice, and there's one other movie that's very similar to this from the same director as Get Shorty. It's called Big Trouble with um, uh, Tim Allen and Rene Russo. I, have you ever seen that one? Sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, it's got Zoe. She's in this movie as well. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel and Ben Foster and a whole bunch of other people. Johnny Knoxville. uh, But it's about, uh, you know, like one of those, like, it's got a massive cast. It's all intertwined with one crime. And this was right as John Travolta. I think this is his first role after the Pulp Fiction, you know, saved his career. And, boy, he chose a good one. He had a streak, remember? He had just, like, hit after hit after hit for years. Yes, throughout the nineties, definitely. God, he was all over the place. I mean there's a couple stink- there's a couple sneakers like White Man's Burden and Mad City, but he had this, 
Broken Arrow, Michael, Phenomenon, uh, Face Off, Primary Colors, oh, yeah. Civil Action, and then it started to fade a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's also a pilot, too. So, you know, like anywhere in between, like, he would always go back to movies. Yeah. Um, who else? Is, uh, Gene Hackman. Fucking nailing it on the head. If you know acting, he's giving the best performance of his career here, I think. And he's playing against type because he's always the tough guy or, or kind of like the melancholy dad. He is a loser and a, a schemer, but an incompetent schemer, and he's scared of everything, even when he pretends to be tough. I fucking love it when he's like, <laughs> Dennis Farino, he's like, look at me. He goes, what'd you just say to me? Look at me. He goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, dude, Dennis Farina. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. his performance stuff this entire movie uh, I swear just when even from the very beginning when he takes John Travolta's jacket you know as a joke it, of course that's what I love about John Travolta in this like he didn't take shit he's like oh fuck you I'm getting my jacket back yeah <laughs> and just from then on and then character Bones you know again trying to get back at John Travolta now that you know he's dead so he can go after him he's not untouchable anymore just every every step of the way you just can't help but you know admire Dennis Farina yeah it's they're all basically doofuses except Rene Russo uh, James Gandolfini and John Travolta the rest of them are kind of out of their element because Delroy Lindo thinks he's smarter than everybody in the room and doesn't realize what's right in front of his face is that his own man is sick of him and he's going to betray him and you got like Dennis Farina who's just an egomaniac you got um I think it really funny is the subtle humor of Danny DeVito in this one about how he's like the world's greatest actor. He's on every single magazine you see and everybody wants him and he thinks like, whenever he's trying to get into the mobster's mind, you're like just watching him be ridiculous. Like, no, 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 I got it. Hold on, hold on. I got it. Yeah. That's oh yeah, it. absolutely. That's All the expressions it. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yes, of course. Like he was definitely uh, a main focus point of the, of the movie. I'm assuming oh, he's man. Shorty. That, that's who they're getting. Which one? When the, the title, Get Shorty, is about Danny DeVito's character. Yeah, like they want to get him involved with this movie because if he is involved, you know, him being the biggest actor, uh, then yeah, a lot more people are going to want to, you know, produce and fund the movie, which they end up doing in the end of the movie. Yeah. I just realized that's a like a small joke there is that the biggest actor in the world is the smallest actor. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, well, I was trying to think. Um, there is a TV show of this that's not really. I don't understand why it's called Get Shorty because I don't recall anybody in the show being named Shorty. And it's about the movie business and it's about a crime guy who wants to get into the business, but I don't remember his name being Chili Palmer. So it's just kind of like in the spirit of the movie, and it's really good. It's Ray Romano and Chris, uh, I think his name's Odell, the one from the It crowd, the IT crowd. Oh, yeah, God. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah. I like him. It's really good. I don't know if they finished it or not. I feel like it's been a long time between seasons, so I don't know if they canceled it or not. But if you like the movie, check out the show. For sure. I mean, again, yeah, just everybody throughout this uh, movie just played their part perfectly. I mean, especially for me personally – Delroy Lindo and um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on his name? <laughs> the one who played Bones. Oh, uh, Dennis Farina. Yes, Dennis Farina. 
Now, did you did you know that Dennis Farina was a real cop? No idea. No, he he was a real cop, and he was brought on as a consultant, I believe, on Thief with James Caan. And Michael Mann had worked with him on that and remembered him when he was casting for Manhunter, and he was Will Graham's partner in that, and that just his career kind of took off from there. He even had his own TV show about cops called um, Crime Story. So he knew mobsters, and he knew cops, so that's why he did that so often. You know what? I forgot. He's also in big trouble. So Rene Russo, uh, him, and somebody else from this movie. But yeah, it's a fun one. If I find it, I'll, I'll let you know because it's a good it's a good entertainment. Um, I don't know what the hell that meant. I'm so oh. awkward. It's embarrassing. It's quite it's quite entertaining. Yes. What is our next film? Okay, our next film is this was a first for me. I hadn't seen this at all. But um, Heat with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, oh God. Pacino. Al Pacino. Why did I forget? Why would I forget that? Um, uh, I think maybe with the man, one definitely top five manliest movies ever made. Uh, you know, you got, you got Point Break, you got Stone Cold, you got Extreme Prejudice, and uh, definitely uh, I don't know what the, the other one is, but I'll think of it later. But he. Is... No. <clears throat> Excuse me. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. No. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Sorry, I'm so unprofessional. What? <laughs> Um. <laughs> All right, so um, Heat is actually a remake of a TV movie from 1989 that Michael Mann did called L.A. Takedown. After he was let go from Miami Vice, he did Crime Story with, like the, the show I just mentioned with Dennis Farina, and that got canceled. So he did a special movie for NBC, I think, to finish out his contract or something. And it's the same story, it's just on a much lower level budget and no names really attached to it. And he thought it was a really good idea that he could expand upon, you know, make it more epic and with bigger names and more action. So, you know, after Last of Mohicans made a buttload of cash, he was given the power to do this. And God, I, I gotta tell you, they're talking about doing Heat 2 right now. And I don't know why. I don't know what characters are still alive that you could really make a story about that are functioning. Like, Val Kilmer can't talk. Uh, Al Pacino's 80-something. I mean, what the fuck are they going to do? The real sequel to this is The Town with Ben Affleck. Yeah, if it, yeah a spiritual successor, yeah, I yeah. say. But, and, oh, man, yeah, no, there should not be a sequel to it. I mean, that you couldn't do that. I mean, that's really stretching it out, Like especially how it ended. You right. know, again, Al Pacino eventually chased them down and gun down Robert De Niro. I mean, it might be a prequel, and I just don't know. There's the book's been out for a little while, but I'm just not interested. I think it's a perfect story. Maybe it's Al Pacino eighty. Let me tell you about this crime. I see. you know what I mean, like that kind of thing. Thirty five years ago. Who? <laughs> 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 oh, that could be. Oh yeah. Because she has a great ass and heads all the way up in it. Yeah, oh, that's. <laughs> I mean, we saw some of we saw. Uh, specs of this uh, earlier in his career with Dick Tracy that's like the first time he went big and then there was Scent of a Woman but here good lord this is the Al Pacino from here on out is the kind of overacting big shouting you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> oh god especially oh man the, the scenes where um, you would see Rob De Niro you know hang out with his uh, hang out with his crew yeah. Like, yeah, of course, he looked out for him because he needs them for the job, but at the same time, he didn't enable their bullshit, especially with Val Kilmer and uh, his wife. It was actually Judd, I believe. You're correct. 
I, I, I cut out oh dang okay so rewind er. what no the I screen. heard you I said correct not cut out oh oh I thought you said I cut out my bad no no okay but yeah no he didn't enable any of them I mean the the, one, the white supremacist one oh god I wish I freaking wish he killed that one I hated him from the very beginning yeah, but, he, but he did. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole ending is that he cannot walk away. My argument is is that he could have come back later when they weren't watching him and just track him down. But he could not control his impulses. And that was what did him in because once he found out he was at that hotel, and Jesus, what a fucking risk because he knew the cops were there. He had to kill him and he could have got away. But he blew it because he couldn't control his urges. Having said that, though, like, if he waited long enough, that guy would have gotten away. Because he was the reason that, you know, his team and that bank job failed. Yeah. Because they're the ones who set him up. Oh, oh God, what was the name? The uh, bank teller that was screwing him over, that actor. Oh, Hank Azaria? Not Hank Azaria, but, um, the one who was... Uh, oh, set right, up, shit. crossed him on a little money drop-off. Ah, uh, damn it. It's, um, William Fickner. Yeah, William Fickner. In fact, this movie is kind of like what got him that small part in The Dark Knight. Remember the beginning that uh, bank robbing sequence? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's basically he was like a more tough version of that character. I feel like this is really like, early on for William Fickner, too, because I do not recall seeing him before this movie. I can't think of anything either, like anything that I might have seen as a kid, like on sci-fi or anything. No, so right before this, wow, he must have been really popular in 95. Son of a bitch. He did Virtuosity, Strange Days, Reckless, I don't know what that is, Heat, um, and The Underneath, and eight episodes of Grace Under Fire within a year period of time. Oh my god, and A Father for Charlie. What the fuck? He must have showed up for like a week for all these movies. Very busy guy. Yeah. Wow. Um, so at the time, I wondered why Val Kilmer, who was red hot, would take such a small role in a movie like this. I mean, it's relatively small compared to you know Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. But um, I was watching the documentary on him, and he said that he felt so disconnected from actual human behavior while making Batman Forever that he begged for this role. He would do anything it took to do you know to to do the role. Um, because he just wanted normal human interaction without tons of special effects and, you know, costumes. Yeah, he wanted something more grounded and more realistic and to kind of getting back into that, like, gritty, you know, kind of suspenseful action kind of a sequence, it seemed. And quite frankly, he played that part really well. I always enjoy Val Kilmer's uh, performances. I mean, yeah, I know, he's, from what I hear, along with Gene Hackman, of course, they're pain in the asses on set. They're tough to work with. Yeah, sometimes. Like, Gene Hackman will not take direction. It's notorious that he says, you do not give me directions. You just say faster, slower, you know, whatever, or higher, or lower, and that's it. <laughs> right. No, no, I think even Bruce Campbell confirmed that on the set of um, Quick and the Dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I love the fact that they both have their teams, that they're basically equal to each other. I think it's confusing is that uh, Ted Levine, which is one of the officers on Al Pacino's team, looks a fucking hell of a lot like Kevin Gage, who is that neo-Nazi guy that he hunts down at the end, you know, and fucks him over. <laughs> it looks so alike. I almost wonder if it's intentional. Seriously, it was almost like that uh, Bizarro episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay yeah. <laughs> they all met opposite ends. 
opposites of each other. And of course, that that diner scene where Pacino and um, De Niro are having that heart to heart, like they both admire what they do in their perspective um, occupations. But at the end of the day, yeah, it, it, they're gonna have one of them's gonna have to gun down the other. Guess what? They're not. Yes. In, they're not in that scene together. I mean, they are when it's edited together, but they were never in on, on set together. Oh shit! What? Right. It was all body doubles because they weren't available at the same time, and that's mind-boggling because that's what they sold to you as as an audience member, whatever. You're like, oh, De Niro, Pacino on screen together, but if you watch, you do not see them in the same shot together. You know, both faces. Holy shit! Yeah. Fuck. Um, Tom Sizemore, uh, rest in peace. I know he was very troubled. I guess he cleaned himself up over the last couple years or whatever, and had a lot of regrets. And sadly, he passed away. And this might be his best performance. He doesn't have a whole lot to say, but he has a whole lot to show. If a silver bullet had a face, it's Tom Sizemore in this movie. He's a fucking cold weapon. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as soon as he picked up that kid and tried to and try to use her as a hostage, I'm like, oh, God, no. Uh, he can't do that when he himself was a dad. Yeah. The, um, like, no. We saw this in theaters, and I remember after the big shootout, you know, like, what, three quarters of the way through, that we all looked at each other. All four of us looked at each other, and, like, we're all panting and sweating and whatever. <laughs> but it's also... Oh, man. It's, it's the longest movie I think I had seen for years at that point, and my butt was literally numb. My, my ass was numb. Oh, <laughs> damn, dude. I mean, honestly, considering I did not expect it to be like that long of a movie, but it just it was so well paced. Yeah, but I remember sitting there, it. and I was a lot skinnier back then. And I was like, my ass is hurting from sitting here. <laughs> I gotta shift around. I gotta go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> All right. Any, yeah, no. Anything else you want to say about this movie before we move on? Uh, yeah, no, no sequel necessary. Leave it as is. Yeah, if you want to see more movies like this, it's not a literal sequel. Yeah, The Town and uh, Den of Thieves with uh, Gerard Butler uh, in the same vein. Uh, well, wait a second. About that one scene, the bank robbing scene, the big old shootout, you know how they had, like, the uh, whips uh, taped on? Like, didn't they? I think Val Kilmer actually went through some firearm training and all those, like, techniques that they used to reload quickly were actually a... Uh, were adopted by armed forces after this movie. I, I would not be surprised. There is oh, you know what? There is another movie you could watch. It's kind of harder to find, and it's a true story. Do you remember? I want to see what it was around the time of this movie is when there was two guys who were completely body armored up and just you know full on uh, loaded to the gills with uh, ammo, and they came out of a bank and they stood. Uh, I think it was like fifty eight minutes or forty four minutes or whatever. Uh, a standoff with the cops and they kept shooting the bad guys but the body armor just kept deflecting it and it took out so many cops damn yeah it's called I'm pretty sure it's called 44 Minutes it's Mario Van Peebles Ron Livingston and a couple others it was uh, it was Fox's or not Fox FX's first original TV movie wow yeah if I find it I'll show it to you because that thing is fucking intense especially when you know it's a real story but I can't remember if that was inspired by Heat or Heat was inspired by that. I can't remember. Either way, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either or. I mean, that was some intense, like, again, those are some intense uh, <clears throat> shootout scenes. Yeah. All right, what's the next film? Okay, next movie, I would, uh, oh gosh, 
Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. That's where you go? You don't go to casino? It's our, uh, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to save it for last. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, Ace Ventura 2. Oh my god. <laughs> so much better. We, we did not discuss the first one. We kind of did when we talked about Dumb and Dumber and the Mask. I don't like the first Ace Ventura. They don't even like the first Ace Ventura because... It was a script given to them, and Jim Carrey was desperate for anything to do because he could feel like In Living Color was coming to an end. Um, and he said he would do it if him and Steve Odenkirk could rewrite it. And it's kind of a mess. There's some funny moments, but I think a lot of it's a mess. This is Ace Ventura is built from the ground up by Steve and Jim, and you can see they have complete control. It's a great fucking story. Take out all the jokes. It's still a great detective story. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, yeah, I know he's a zany out there and comes off as done, but no, he knew his shit, especially when it came to animals. Oh, he is a human cartoon character in this, so it makes sense that there was an animated series after this because everything he does is big and fun, and it can be a little exhausting if that's not your kind of thing. Like if um, uh, Jerry Lewis is not your kind of thing, you'll probably be exhausted by this. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, no, especially when he, like, talks over that. Oh, now I think it's just all. We used to quote this all the time Bubble Betuna, Bubble Betuna. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, this time they took him out of his element. Like, he's not in Miami. He's all the way over in Africa. After, like, a cliffhanger inspired opening sequence. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> trying to save the raccoon, right? Or something. Yes, it was. I'm like, okay. I mean, that that raccoon was adorable. I, I mean, I don't blame him for getting upset. <laughs> but as soon as like he's going into that temple, like, uh, get the actor's name. I've seen him in so many things. Uh, but yeah, but when he's like trying to be found and hired for a job, the guy trying to find him. Um, oh god, Ian McNeese. That's the guy's name. Okay, that's yeah. the actor's name. When he's trying to find him, he has to describe him by like a particular trait. And once he and once they find out the monks are just like, oh, him. <laughs> Please leave, Ace. I haven't found a complete this. No, no, it's, it's good. To, okay to go. Please leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're using any, like, excuse to leave it. Like, oh, wait, you found your center. Here, take my Magdalene. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> 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 oh, man, no. Oh, gosh. Uh, again, it, uh, like, beginning to end, it was definitely a little more over the top and a little more obnoxious and more to carry and Steve Odekirk than it was, you know, the previous film. Right. Well, they take reality completely out of this one. They completely let loose. This is a cartoon that just happens to have live-action, you know, people in it. I mean, the stuff with the whole fit like a glove, there's callbacks to the original movie, like when he's uh, shifting gears, and he's like, loser. (laughs) Stuff like that, and talking out of his butt. He knows what the audience loved in the first movie, and, and he just finds a way to get it in there cleverly. I think the showstopper of the whole fucking movie, though, the rhino, the robotic rhino, which is the most ridiculous goddamn thing in the world because nobody would have that. And then he gets stuck, everything breaks, and, and then they think they're giving birth to a baby rhino, and it's Jim Carrey, and they all freak the fuck out. That's an absolute... That's, they fucked it up when they tried to do it in... Um, the Brothers Grimsby. They made it truly disgusting. Right, yes, no. Um, 
I never seen that, but I didn't think anyone would want to replicate or retry a little gag like that. Uh, he hides inside. He hides inside of a rhino's butt with his brother, and then another rhino comes along and with his giant penis and fucks the other rhino while they're inside. And then it oh, shoot, and then it shoots cum everywhere, and they're both covered in cum as they escape from the uh, rhinos or his hippo's butt. Yeah, it was fucked up. It was too fucked up. I know. scene where he goes to see the other tribe to see if there's any clues to finding the sacred bat, you know, like the plot of the movie, he's trying to find a bat to uh, prevent a war from these two tribes and in Africa. And, oh God, that one scene where he gets caught and he uh, says his friend's going to go get help. He comes in and he just says, hello, Ed. <laughs> I uh, noticed you said white devil, white devil. <laughs> yes. Oh God, that little... <laughs> Like I said, that whole sequence to me was just absolutely hilarious. But again, the funniest part was when he said, Hello, Ace. That's the way he said it. <laughs> we, uh, we, all, we also quote at work, we would always say, Chicago, when things would go wrong. <laughs> Chicago, you're out of there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, there was uh, one actor in Familiar uh, that I recognized who was uh, Simon Callow's bodyguard. Adewale... Gosh, it's hard for me to... Yeah, he... I think a lot of people probably know him from the G.I. Joe movie, the first one. He was heavy duty. Yes. Oh, you know, he was also in Mummy Returns. He played uh, one of the villains, Lochna. Wait, was he Killer Croc in Suicide Squad? Yes. Okay. Um, and then there's Bob Goonton, who's the main... Well, there's two main villains there. Well, no, 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 that's right. Bob Goonton seems like he's the villain. Spoilers. He's always like the tool. You were just talking about Demolition Man. He's in that, and uh, he's in Broken Arrow and stuff like that. With Simon Callow, is just he's kind of a smaller name actor, but I know him from a movie with uh, Tom Green that me and my sister love called Bob the Butler, which is a completely ridiculous little family movie. But um, Oh, he was also in Amadeus. Uh, I've never seen that one, so I, I, that's uh, lost oh. on me. Um, but did you happen to notice Tommy Davidson was the little warrior that's brought out of the uh, backpack? <laughs> yes, I realized that. I mean, considering they were worked together on In Living Color for years, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Jim had to bring him on. Besides the rhino, I think that's the other big scene. That whole competition where he, like, the guy's walking across a fire and he kicks his ass over, walks on him, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and the, the, <laughs> the fight. moment. This is your greatest warrior? Ah, bring it on. And he just kicks the fucking shit about it. Nobody messes with the dude. <laughs> That's right. He made him look like an actual toe. <laughs> oh. I, think, I think they did a really good job with the, the animals and stuff like that interacting way better than they did in the first Ace Ventura. I'm always a little surprised they didn't do a third one, but I think by the time that was coming around, it was when he wanted to move on. Like, he was probably in the time that he was doing Truman Show. Yeah, he was getting more serious and going for uh, potential dramatic stuff. Yeah, there's which, a there's an Ace Ventura Jr., which I have no interest in seeing. Yeah, it was like a Cartoon Network movie, if I remember. Oh, well, that makes sense. Same company, yeah. Yeah, it was, of course, like, made for TV. I mean, from what I did see of it, I'm like, it seems kind of cute. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's nowhere nearly the budget. Well, I'm always disappointed that Steve Odenkirk um, didn't direct many movies after this because I, this was such a massive hit, and this is basically his hand designing the whole thing. Um, 
he would do Nothing to Lose with Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins, and then he would do Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he did a cartoon, well, it was a movie, then it was a TV show called Barnyard, which I've never seen. I know of it. Uh, yeah, it was on Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, that was a hit. Yeah. It's just kind of a shame because the dude hasn't acted or hasn't done anything in 10 years. And it's just, you know, how do you go from a movie this big to your career just fading away within a decade? It is a shame. I mean, maybe he wanted to stick to smaller scale because he probably did. I mean, especially with Ace Ventura and probably then on after. He was a lot of the pressure. <clears throat> from like the higher ups yeah I think I would have loved to have seen like uh, not a sequel to Kung Pao but other movies like that where he takes old movies and he would not just necessarily inject himself but other people into it like just make fun of every genre that way that was it was pretty cheap too I think they made it for like 8 million dollars yeah no oh gosh it's (laughs) there's still some times where I just can't help quote the villain (laughs) (laughs) my name is Nick (laughs) (laughs) is it Betty a woman's name (laughs) I love to rock and roll all day, all night, sweet Susie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, again, I do love going back and watching this. Oh, my God. One more thing I have to say. That scene where he's getting, you know, getting uh, hit by tranquilizer darts. Oh. <laughs> he's just so rubbery. He is. <laughs> he is just, seriously, he's a cartoon character come to life. It's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, this is one of the reasons why they cut back on special effects in the Mask movie because Jim Carrey was that flexible and cartoony. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's in a lot of pain now, though. I'm curious if he's on a lot of painkillers from all the goofball stunts. On stage, when he would do stand-up comedy, he would just literally throw him. He goes, let's go back in time, and then, or let's go back, or whatever like that, and he would throw himself on stage, a you know, a hard stage, whatever, and just slam his back. Hmm. Yeah, that can't be good. Yeah, no, I w- yeah, no, honestly. At our age, yeah, no, that does not sound like fun. <laughs> All right, <laughs> what is our next film? Okay, Father of the Bride 2. Oh, my God. I, honestly, this is a sequel that I could actually enjoy as much as the first one. Yeah, I've never seen the originals with, um... Oh, shit. Uh, ah, I'm going to kill myself as Hepburn. He was always with Hepburn, um... I'll look it up. Never mind. But they, you know, there was there was Father of the Bride, and then there was Baby of the Bride, and I guess this one kind of goes off uh, somewhat from the uh, the sequel. Damn it to hell! Father of the Bride, by Spencer the way. Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy. Thank you. Uh, there's a remake of this that was supposed to be on the Disney Channel, and I can't find it. It's the one with Andy Garcia. Oh yeah, it was on HBO Max, I think. Oh, it was HBO. I thought it was a Disney movie. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um. There's a little bit of logistical problems I have with this, but nothing that really derails it for me. I do think the first one's better. Um, I think it's weird that Martin Short is barely in this, and yet he gets third billing, and it should have been and Martin Short, I think. Yeah, pretty much, because Martin Short definitely had a bigger presence in this movie. And what I think was very unique to his character, it's like he was actually more involved with the family. He actually, you know, liked this one and wanted to help. Yeah. Well, and you Especially can see with the pregnancy exercises. I mean, those 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 two love each other. You know, Martin Short and Steve Martin are just like the bestest of friends. And still, I mean, after what well, the first time they worked together, I believe, was Three Amigos, and that was God, almost forty years ago. And they've had such a strong. What's that new show? Only Murders in the Building, I think, is what it is. Yes. Yeah. So they're still great buds. Do you see the chemistry? And you see Diane Keaton works really well with them. And um, 
And he would re team with co hosts. Yeah, and he would re team with it. What'd you say? Uh, they were co hosts, uh, I think, uh, in our recently. Oh, okay. If I remember correctly. Um, Diane Keaton was with Steve Martin, and it is complicated. No, that was Meryl Streep. Never mind. Um, and then, of course, you get Eugene Levy, I think, for the first time, and he would team up with Steve at least three or four more times. Yeah, he would. Oh, God. Again, someone like Steve Martin, it's hard not to, it's hard not to bounce off him, I think. He's, yeah. He seems like such a genuinely good guy and absolutely funny. Yeah, he, he seems like a very giving actor who's willing to step back for a bit. I think it's as funny as there's commentary on what he had just done with his hair for three years. Because I believe Leap of Faith is the first one where he had brown hair. Then it was Simple Twist of Fate and Mixed Nuts where he had brown hair. And then he kind of jokes about it in this movie by temporarily dying it just so he seemed like he was younger and like kind of going, well, that didn't work for me. I was like, yeah, it's uh, self-effacing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I like to think too. It's like age was kind of catching up with him and he's getting a bit of a midlife crisis <laughs> as he's realizing he's about to be a grandfather. <laughs> so, and the funny thing is, that's what it, that when, ends up lead, uh, leading him to be a dad to another kid. Yeah, that, <laughs> when we were in college, uh, my best friend's sister and one of our friends that was at college with us, they tried talking us into seeing Father of the Bride too. And to this day, I regret not seeing it. I don't know why the fuck I decided to go see Fair Game with Cindy Crawford and Billy Baldwin instead. And after it was over with, they all looked over at me with extreme disappointment. I I'm so sorry, guys. That was stupid of me. I mean, it's an awful movie. And Father of Bride 2 is pretty good. Oh, absolutely. Yes, no. I, I did enjoy it wholeheartedly. It's pleasant. And it's just so pleasant. Absolutely, yes, of course. And of course, yeah, I mean, again, it would only make sense, you know, especially after the first one, realizing his daughter's grown up and she's getting married. And then the next phase, it's like, oh, great, I'm going to be a granddad. And he was in denial for the lo- His character was in denial for the longest time. Yeah, oh, and selling the house. <laughs> I mean, and then he got fucked over. He's like, oh, well, I'll give you your money back. He's like, no, 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 it's a buyer's market now, you know? I was like, ah, oh, shit, or a seller's market. And he had to pay an extra 50000 on top of it. Oh my god, yes. Like, he was so impulsive with everything. <sighs> what did George Banks do for a living anyway? Does it, did they even bring that up? Because remember, he, all he talks about in the first movie is how fucking poor he is because it's so expensive to pay for a wedding. And then in the second movie, it's just like, well, money's no problem. That or he just had overcome, like, a particular cheap uh, nature. Yeah, I always wonder though, like these movies, they're always something generic, like advertising executive, like no one really knows what that is, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, oh man. But yeah, again, wholeheartedly pleasant. It's definitely a must watch if you love the first one. Yeah. I, I think the funniest line in this, and I still t- say it to this day, but me and my best friend would run around saying it all the time, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh my god, that still gets me. Alright, last film. Okay, this, I will say this to get it out of the way. I mean, my favorite Scorsese film. Thank you! I think it's. Goodfellas isn't bad, but it's not even in my top five, I don't think. No, I I love Goodfellas too, mind you. Yeah, but there's something about this. It's just. a lot of it's the Vegas. I love Vegas. Like the well, I mean, I've been to Vegas, but I love the idea of Vegas more than the reality of Vegas. But 
Oh, oh I yeah. love the nostalgia of Vegas before the corporations took it over. Um, I just think it's a really funny, a darkly funny movie, and, and I don't think people ever view it as that, but there's some really funny stuff in this. And if you look at who he cast, um, Martin Scorsese cast quite a few comedians in this. Alan King, uh, Don, Rickles, Don Rickles, Joe Bob Briggs. Um, I feel like there's a couple yes. others in here, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, yeah. There was a comedian. Oh, gosh. I think one of the funniest lines and moments for me is when Joe Pesci's talking to that one guy, you know, trying to get a loan, saying, like, he has to pay these guys off or else he's in trouble. But, of course, Joe Pesci being a mob boss and having info, he's like, you know how much you're a lying motherfucker? Like, you know what your wife told me? That he was off. Don't fuck with me, Al. Don't make a fuck out of me. (laughs) That was one of my, I think, was the funniest fucking part. His accent in this is a little... His accent has a little bit of a, it sounds like Chicago to me. I don't know if that was intentional or accidental, but it feels a little bit of like, ah, de bears, you know, that kind of uh, OG there. Maybe, but uh, Joe Pesci from Jersey, I don't know, like, he, he, I, that's not an accent he can get rid of. It's yeah. tough. Um, but, go ahead. Like, easily one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite performances from Pesci. But there's also a moment when he's talking to that, um, Baker, I forget the actor's name. Where he's telling him, he's like, "All right, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna come in to, to the bank tomorrow. I'm, I'm gonna take a ba- I'm gonna bash your fucking head in. Then I might go to jail for a while. And then when I get out of jail, I'm gonna come back to the bank. I'm gonna bash your fucking head in again." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I, "It's like he's like, you know, I don't give a fuck about jail. I'm fucking stupid. That's why." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's so funny that Robert De Niro for years was always the chaotic. He was the one that you know you had to watch out for in so many movies. And he yes. has two movies that come out within a month of each other where he's the character in control. Yes, this in particular, yeah, he had to be in control, especially for the bosses. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, he was their golden goose. Whenever it came to bets, whenever it came to this, he knew what was happening, and he made them so much money. So it only made sense for him to, for sense to give to send to the Vegas. Yeah, but his his problem was is that he wanted to be like halfway through he decided he wanted to be a celebrity, which fucked them and brought too much attention. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that was one of the things that Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci's character, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what he kind of called out when they had that meeting in the desert. It's like, what the hell are you doing on TV anyhow? Bringing this attention to yourself? You're not supposed to. Yeah. You know, otherwise they're going to catch on to him, and, and that's what and like, ultimately. It, Honestly, they were getting, overall, they were getting in over their heads. And then him meeting Sheridan Stone. Yo, shit. So, yeah, the movie is, uh, uh, it's a mafia casino, you know, like Vegas movie. But the underlying theme is people who cannot control their impulses. He cannot control himself when it comes to her. He should not. A guy with this much, like, power and guidance and control over his life and his world. And yet, for some reason, she is his kryptonite. Yes, and her kryptonite happened to be James Woods. Yeah, and and so yeah, and her addictions, and then Jim Joe Pesci and his rebellious, uh, violent nature. He cannot control his impulses. Well, it's a lot of it. Like the guy who um, they're recording the whole time, the low-level guy in the grocery store. It's always costing around his mom or whatever. He can't keep his fucking mouth shut. It's the all about impulses. Yes. Yeah, it's so interesting. That that's the underlying theme. <laughs> oh no, and that, that's another thing too. That that old lady in that grocery store, of course, was Scorsese's mom. Oh, was it? Okay. 
Yeah, just like in Goodfellas. You know, Joe Pesci's mom was Scorsese's mom. I didn't know that. I haven't seen Goodfellas in forever. And there's some movies I regret that we have not got to. And I think when we... Uh, probably when we get done with the 96 season, I think we're going to go back and grab some movies we missed in the 80s and, like, the first half of the 90s. Because there's, you know, we didn't discuss Pulp Fiction. I fucking forgot. How do I forget that? Because it was in a package in my voodoo and I, it wasn't separated, so I didn't see it. And then I picked up Goodfellas after we passed 1990. So I feel like we, we, should, we should go back and, like, these are the ones we missed. Sorry. Yeah. And, of course, um... People that did have some like cameos in here, like Frankie Avalon, and uh, just to kind of give it that sense of how connected it was to the real world, like Jerry Vale. Yeah, well, this is based on a true story, you know that, right? Yes, of course. I was just about to mention that. Um, Yeah, this was based on actual, you know, events that went on with the creation of Vegas and like how the mob had so much influence and control. Yeah, if you watch, (laughs) did you and I discuss Bugsy with Warren Beatty? No, I don't think so. We did? Okay, that was 1991, and that's the very first stage of Vegas and how it was a disaster in the first place, and they killed Bugsy Ford because they blamed him for the loss of all that money. So this is almost a spiritual sequel to Bugsy. It's just, you know, like 30 years later, what was the, or 20 years later, something like that, what, what, what happened with Vegas later when it was actually successful but still mob run and not taken over by the, the corporations yet. Yes, of course. And then, yeah, going back to their downfall, oh, gee. Sharon Stone's performance, she earned that Oscar, but gosh, did they really have to make her so monstrous? Holy fuck. I mean, that's... I I thought that she was kind of a disconnected actress. She's either over the top and not based in reality. Like, I've seen her in a couple things where she's just so fucking big, it doesn't make any sense. Or she is kind of dead behind the eyes. Like, And sometimes it's necessary, but like Basic Instinct, uh, the specialist in Quick and the Dead, I don't think her... I think she's one of the weaker elements. She fucking goes for it in this movie and yeah she earns her oscar and it's sad that this was her peak you think after the oscar she would get a lot more you know juicy roles but it just didn't happen sadly no but of course when it comes to like joe pesci's character like oh man that one scene where you see him stab that guy in a bar with a pen for being a dick to robert de niro it's like man this, he was absolutely vicious yeah i think and, uh, to- the heart of the movie, though, with his character, is him begging for his brothers, you know, stop torturing him, just kill me, stop beating or whatever, and they just, god damn, they beat the fucking shit out of those baseball bats. Oh, yeah, and, of course, they had to be by his right-hand man, Frank Vincent. Yeah, by yeah, Frank Vincent. hair helmet Another. Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> man, though, I mean, considering what Joe Pesci had done, especially when they were, you know, trying to was trying to cut up loose ends of course like some of the people that were heavily involved with the casino all they'd be killed off even ones that like alan king's character yeah like yeah he was a true you know he was a true um uh, soldier for them you know yeah, he yeah. would never like again he was never gonna run them out but as joey pesci narrated you know he wasn't italian he wasn't one of us sadly but again when it came to like the decision on robert de niro's character he never said anything he wasn't gonna say anything and nobody was going to make a decision on him, and rightfully they didn't, because he's their golden goose. He was making the money still. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, yeah, and then, Joe, of course, there's that whole... Um, affair. Well, yeah, that's the horseshoe that goes into it, is like, wait, why did they blow him up at the beginning of the movie, and you realize it wasn't the mob, that it was... I mean, it clearly seems like something that James Woods or, or uh, Joe Pesci had done. 
Yes, and it was definitely Joe Pesci because, you know, Joe Pesci's still loyal to his family and he thinks that would be their decision. Plus, he also had something a little personal with Right, uh, right. Sam. Ugh, who the fuck was... I mean, she's a manipulator from day one, but man, she had to lower herself to control him. You know, with Joe Pesci. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Oh, God, man. And then, of course, near the end of the movie, when it came to taking care of Joe Pesci, yeah, no, he had to be made an example of. Yeah. It's a very powerful film, and it's funny is... Oh, there's another one. I'm sorry. Kevin Pollock is another comedian that he cast in a serious role. So apparently, Martin Scorsese was a massive comedy fan. And he had tried doing a couple of comedies, dark comedies, whatever, and they both tanked, so he never did it again. But he is upset. He loved, because I listened to the podcast, uh, Gilbert Godfrey. And he was a huge fan of like, comedians of the old days, whatever. But he was also a fan of like new wave music, which is not what you expect, but he throws, I think, three Devo songs into this movie. Uh, of course, with it and the cover of satisfaction yeah i think there was another one in there that he uses very briefly but i can't remember but yeah he's a really interesting director because he never really seems to be pinned down yes he's known for his mobster movies and if he wanted to do mobster movies all day long he could have he could have cashed in but he only does those when he has a story he absolutely wants to tell and yes i think he's smart enough to understand that can get other things made like you know he's doing what killers of the Flower Moon or something like that. He did Silence. Movies that he's been... Uh, that have been sitting on his back shelf for like 20 years. The Irishman was one of those because it was so difficult and expensive. You know, he's getting to his... He's getting towards the end of his career. I can't imagine he has more than 10 years more of directing, but what do I know? Clint Eastwood directed until he's like 90-fucking-four. Yeah, I know. Oh, and then, of course, Hugo was another surprise. Oh, God, that's so good. Yes. I love... Honestly, that's such a beautiful film. And it really just, you know, honestly, uh, basically something from Scorsese's, it's how I interpret it, something from Scorsese's childhood where he could translate, you know, oh gosh, I'm losing myself. Basically translating his love for film onto this with that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's probably my number two. Casino is my favorite Scorsese. Oh, absolutely. I love The Departed as well. And Departed. The, <laughs> yeah, Departed. And yeah, the thing he gets someone like Jack Nicholson too. I was like, oh, yeah. that's perfect. But think about that though, because it's almost like he's cashing his chips by doing a few of these movies. Like he did, uh, what's The Last Temptation of Christ? And then he did Goodfellas and Cape Fear, which are like his cash-ins. But then he would go do stuff like Kundun um, about the Dalai Lama, I believe, as a child. He would do The Age of Innocence, you know, stuff you wouldn't expect. And then he would go back and do like The Gangs of New York and then Bringing Out the Dead. So he likes to bounce around, and I really appreciate that. I think he's the most risk-taking of all of the big-name directors. Oh, absolutely, honestly. And when it comes to character depth and like telling a story, and I think about Casino... Like he, it was like three hours long, but God, is it so well paced and it oh, yeah. has you so invested. Man, what a fucking year for Robert De Niro, man. Oh, absolutely. All right, so I that mean, what's that? Oh, nothing. Oh, um, I guess I'm catching a balance of my talking is like a whistle or something. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that is it. We have one more episode of 1995 to go, and uh, Jacob, you want to set us out? All right, everybody. Excuse me, sorry. Congestion. Allergies congestion. I'm sorry. Wind up and bulk.
Excellent to each other. And party on, dudes.